0: Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan and today on The Detail, both of our main political parties have had their issues. Andrew Falloon? Yes, I do. Hamish what Walker? Saying, yes, I do. Aaron Gilmore? Uh, yes, I, 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 I don't, yep, didn't know him personally, yep. Labour backbencher Gaurav Sharma has blasted his party, the Prime Minister's office and the Parliamentary Service, saying MP on MPing bullying is rampant. And while it's the party leaders who generally face the music when things go wrong, when things get really serious, sometimes another name hits the headlines too. The party president.
1: When I was forced
0: out of my electorate in 2020 by the unconstitutional actions of the party president Claire Zabo, and some members of council, I was devastated. The Labour Party's president's position is in doubt, but the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern refusing to express confidence in him. To the party side of the National Party, uh, Peter Goodfellow, I mean, he must be under quite some considerable pressure. Oh, yes, absolutely. So he'll be expected to go to the National Party caucus meeting today. He will be grilled by people in the party because really he's the weak link at the moment. When it comes to our two main political parties, there's a separation. There's the Parliamentary Party, which is headed up by the party leader, currently Jacinda Ardern and Christopher Luxon. And then there's the broader party organisation, which is headed up by the party president. But compared to the leaders, party presidents don't have as much of a public spotlight on them, even though they have a lot of responsibility for some crucial matters like campaign finances and dealing with political scandals and helping to select party candidates. So today on the podcast, we're speaking to two former presidents about the role, what they do, what they are and aren't responsible for, how they dealt with problems during their time in the seat, and what they think of the scandals dominating the headlines now.
2: So you're listening to Sue Wood, who was president of the National Party from 1982 to 1986. And prior to that, I was the woman vice president of the party, 77 to 82.
1: I am Mike Williams, and I was the second longest serving president of the Labour Party in its history. I served from 2000 to 2009 and was party president for practically all of the Helen Clark Labour government. We'll talk about that because,
0: obviously, that's what we're here to talk about. But I'm curious about how your path to the
1: presidency sort of worked. Like, did you, were you always interested in politics? Uh, I was not interested in becoming a member of parliament. I was interested in political organisation. And I started off in 1978. I was on my OE, and an old friend of mine who had been at school with, David Butcher was selected for the seat of Hastings and rang me and said, do you want to manage a campaign? Well, it was a bloody awful winter in Britain at the time and I wanted any excuse to go, so I I came back and managed a campaign. We won it and I got hooked.
2: I was actually an adult student when I had preschool as I went back to university to finish a degree and became very involved in the women's movement. My husband had been active in the National Party and I sort of followed along. So it was really only after I married that I became involved in politics, but saw the women's movement as an opportunity to have a voice both within the party and outside in organisations like the Women's Electoral Lobby. I got involved in Young Nationals because my husband was involved. Then I became a branch secretary, I worked in 1975 on the campaign in Auckland Central. I think I was in charge of scrutineers. I might have been a branch secretary. And then, um, as I say, I was elected woman vice president.
0: When did the idea occur to you that you could be president of the National Party?
2: Uh, That was in the latter stages of my woman vice presidency, when I was very well known throughout the party, and I was asked to um, stand, thought about it. And I guess I was also driven because there were so few women holding senior office.
0: Here's the former National MP, Marilyn Waring, talking about her time as an MP.
2: The photo there is taken at the first meeting of the government caucus after the 1978 general election. So I'm the only woman in that caucus for the next three years. In fact, from 1975 to 1981, I'm the only woman MP in the North Island. So I think I was also feeling a responsibility on behalf of women to take up that challenge.
1: I was headhunted by the Australian Labour Party. And what they were interested in was how computers, which were quite new in those days, could affect uh, campaigning. Uh-huh. And I had been really quite a pioneer of that. And I came back and started a business. In 99, I think I I sold my company, and I was at a loose end. And um, uh, Pete Hodson, who, a long-term friend of mine, he approached me to become campaign manager. And frankly, I jumped at it. I was at a loose end. It was an unpaid job. And of course, uh, we won the election 99. And then within a year, you're party president. Yeah, well, Bob Harvey was president in the year that we won the election, but in 2000, I I succeeded him as party president. I was approached by Helen Clark to become party president. What does the president do? What are your roles and duties?
2: Right, there are three fundamentally important functions that you are responsible for on behalf of the membership of the party. The first is you're responsible for the party's finances. So you're responsible for the the raising of the funds, the investment of the funds, and the expenditure of the funds in an election year. Secondly, you are responsible for upholding the rules and constitution of that party. And thirdly, and most important, you are responsible for the integrity of the candidate selection process which in effect is the future of your party.
1: The President of the Labor Party really does four things. First of all, you chair the Governing Council of the Labor Party, which is called the New Zealand Council, and that is the final court of appeal of the Labor Party. If there's any problems, that's where it's settled. Secondly, and most importantly, you are chair all of the panels that select candidates. And the other thing you do, and the president can be quite crucial in this, but it's also shared with the general secretary, who's the the paid administrator, is fundraising.
0: Yeah, that was only three things, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Sue Wood was National Party president during the first past the post era. There were no list MPs then. So the candidate selection process was very different from how it is now.
2: There was no party list. And the role of the president was ultimately the integrity of that selection process. Now, the actual selections were managed by the divisional directors who were paid officials of the party, and there were five of them. So they were responsible for administering the selection, and the president was responsible for the integrity of that process. But it was primarily the local electorate and their elected representatives who made that candidate selection. The president did not have a vote. It was the local members.
0: It was interesting what you said about um, the roles of the party president earlier on, and you went through those four elements that you consider to be imperative to a party president, because I've also interviewed Sue Wood for this podcast, and she, like you, said the most important of the important functions of the role of a party president is candidate selection. Mm.
1: Why is that? Well, you get that wrong and you have disasters like the Uffendale uh, thing.
2: It's been revealed the National Party's newest MP was asked to leave a prestigious boarding school after a nighttime attack on a younger boy. Sam Uffendale was elected as the MP for Tauranga in June.
1: And we used to do quite a bit of background checking and asking around. And as I said, well, maybe we were lucky, but we didn't. I can't think of a single dud.
0: Well, I mean, you did have a minister who bought porn on his ministerial credit card. Who was it? It was Shane Jones. Oh, yeah. Well, that,
1: no. the movies. Yeah, I stayed in hotels a lot, et cetera. I can't recall what exactly they were—drug, sex, rock and roll. But I'm a movie buff, but I don't ever have it.
0: Were life. they Were they the adult type of movie?
1: Sorry, I don't. I don't recall, mate. Yeah. Well, well, hang on. You don't recall? Yeah. I... I watch a lot of movies. I'm a movie buff. Is it possible they were pornographic movies, Mr Jones? Well, I won't rule it out, but I can't remember. I actually selected Shane initially. Yeah, he got out of that reasonably well, didn't he? But, I mean, he compared with beating the bejesus out of a, a you know... A,
0: 11-year-old boy. Always. Understood, understood. I guess that, 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 is, that is an interesting area, though, in the sense that, like, I mean, you did still have to deal with some personnel issues, didn't you? you had,
1: oh, absolutely. You, you had things, But mostly, you would never have heard of them, because they were dealt with behind closed doors. Well, tell me about some of them. Um, well, I prefer not to. <laughs> give me one, give me one. Okay, um, a senior official and in a an in electorate a, was exposed as a pedophile, and uh, that, I, I just Gee. fired him. Yeah, And, of course, it was all because of suppression of names. Uh, no one even knew about it. But See, this is interesting, because, I mean, is that your call? Probably not, but um, I did it, and I got away with it.
2: I've been thinking about this, and I will give you one example, because it was quite tragic. Um, The Member of Parliament for Tauranga, um, Keith Allen, was very unwell. He was a serious diabetic and unfortunately was drinking as well. And there was an incident where he was found wandering from Parliament to wherever he lived. And it was a major scandal because he was clearly disorientated.
1: Filmed by television one night, stumbling home from Parliament full of drink and medication, a tragic Keith Allen was soon dead.
2: And I, with the support of the leader, Rob Muldoon, we agreed that he needed to be looked after and he needed to be basically taken out of the pressure and the heat at the time. So I arranged for a local businessman in Tauranga to um, help he and his wife leave the country for a break. Mm. So I did that quietly behind the scenes, with um, the leader of the party.
0: You mentioned earlier on that you were the first female president of the National Party, uh, and this is in the sort of early to mid-1980s. Did that present difficulties? In what way? In that you are a woman, the first woman, and a young woman indeed, in what I understand to be a very sort of male-dominated environment.
2: Yes, correct. Difficulties. Um, Yes, I attracted huge media attention... And also, I think that the middle-aged men I worked with were in part a little shocked that the party had selected me and there was a bit of adjusting to do. But that was adjusting on both sides because when I look back, I was quite naive on a lot of fronts.
0: <laughs> what do you mean by that?
2: Well, I'll give you one example. I didn't realise that people lobbied to get knighthoods. And and I used to get letters. I hadn't even heard of the word gong in those days. And it was, what do you do with this? <laughs> it was it was that sort of thing. You know, I just didn't realise that um, I grew into the job, put it that way, but I was a tad naive. Mm.
0: What about in terms of your relationship with the party leader? Because, I mean, you're the president. Uh, the, the leader of the National Party is the leader of the National Party. What, what is the nature of that relationship like?
2: Close working relationship, respectful of each other's roles. Remember, when I chaired the council of the party, when I chaired the executive of the party, the leader would sit beside me. It was my meeting, and he had a voice, but if there was ever a vote, he had one vote.
0: The leader of the National Party during your presidency was was Rob Muldoon. Did you ever clash with him?
2: Yes. It was after the 84 election, it was a major clash. Mm. And he subsequently blamed me and the party for that failure, and it became very bitter. But I should tell you that after the 84 election loss, I had a party conference to run two weeks later. Mm. Nobody thought about this. Yeah. And I called the council of the party together on the eve of that conference, and there was a major move to withdraw the party's endorsement of the leader. It was a fierce debate. Rob roughed me up before, threatened me, and I said, basically, you have to trust me. I'm in the chair. Hmm. So very humiliating for him to sit through this ferocious debate and in the end, I spoke before I put the vote and I spoke against the resolution to withdraw the endorsement. That mm. caused few friends by the wayside, but I knew that I had to, one, run a conference, and two, we had to get through this, and three, that the parliamentary wing had to determine the leadership, not the organisation.
0: That's very interesting because I suppose that's... Putting your personal feelings aside and doing what you feel is best for the party, or at least trusting in the party's structures to have the right outcome?
2: Absolutely. I felt that it was fundamentally important the conference was not a bloodbath.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the 1984 election because, you know, there were eruptions within the National Party that uh, led to the calling of this snap election in. Uh, interesting circumstances. On June 14, he drunkenly
1: announced to a startled country there would be a snap election. So we got a date, Prime Minister? Uh, we've got a date, the 14th of July, which we've worked out at Government House as being the appropriate date. That
0: doesn't give you much time to run
1: up to an election, Prime Minister. doesn't give my opponents much time to run up to an election, does it?
0: How did you feel when you were watching all of this unfold?
2: I had no control because I wasn't informed that the leader of the party behind my back had planned to call the snap election. Mm. So I got a call from him at one o'clock. I just got back from Wellington to my home. I got a call at 1pm from Rob to say, I'm willing to inform you that Marilyn Waring has withdrawn from caucus and from select committees. And I said, do you want me to talk to her? Which I did frequently because they didn't communicate. I said, do you want me to talk to you? He said, I am informing you as president and hung up. I came down because I was concerned, one, about Marilyn, and two, I wanted to find out what was going on. So I was not informed. And he then said, call the caucus. And they met. To resolve to have an election, I was not at that caucus meeting.
0: Were you deeply unimpressed?
2: <laughs> deeply unimpressed, and I said you will lose.
0: Really, you knew?
2: i I knew then. I said you will lose this election because I knew the state of the party. And I rang, I went up to Rob's office because he had a there was a um, little private room off his office. And I got on the phone and rang the Treasurer. I said, how much money have we got in the campaign fund? And he told me, and I said, we're not spending one cent more.
0: You left in 2009. That is a year after Labor lost Mm. an election. Did you know you were going to lose that election?
1: It was on the cards. Could you feel it, though? Uh, Yes, you could. And also, you know, I can remember there was uh, an outbreak of, what could only be called misogyny, I drove around Southland and there were cars with stickers on that read Ditch the Bitch. But also, you'd have to give credit to John Key. He presented himself as successful, moderate, you know, brash was too extreme. um, And, you know, it was time for a change. What does that feel like? Is there a feeling? Because I I guess you don't
0: really have much, if any, power in that situation, right? No, all all
1: of your decisions have already been made. That's right. Um, although you, in my situation, I was also the campaign manager. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know you had to, to work to to turn out the vote, and uh, that had that is what saved the Labor Party in two thousand and five. It couldn't quite get there in two thousand and eight, but not that far away. But nevertheless, the um, the habit of focusing on people who vote-only sometimes, has carried on and has has served the Labor Party well. I took advice. I have a mentor, a political mentor in Australia, and when we were defeated, I rang him and I said, uh, we've been beaten, what do I do? And he gave me three very good pieces of advice. He said to me, well, you didn't get beaten by much, but this is what you've got to do get out, at, resign at the first possible opportunity, let the next generation have a go. And that was good advice. I was worn out. It's hard work, you know, and you've been hard at it for nine, ten years. Uh, the second piece of advice was find something else to do, and I did. It's called the Howard League for Penal Reform. And the third piece of advice was very, very difficult, but I managed to do that too, and it was shut up for two years. <laughs> so just finally
0: on this, bringing it into the, the here and now, the National Party has, you know, it's been doing well in the polls lately, but there is this issue of candidate selection, and that's something that you were talking about earlier in terms of a crucial duty of the the president. I don't know how how deep you want to wade into all of this contemporary stuff, but What is your take on all this? Is this an issue that National has faced over the past few years, do you think, candidate selection and the systems that are in place to ensure the integrity of
2: candidates? I'm deeply, deeply concerned, and I think there are another number of contributing factors. I think one is that I could rely on the local electorate to know... The candidates, well, they tended to be from the electorate. In fact, what was called carpet bagging people sort of swanning in and saying, look, aren't you lucky, here I am, was in the main frowned on. You were part of the community. They knew you. That's changed significantly now. A number of the, you know, the sort of mistakes that have been made are in part a result of weak electorates, not a lot of members, not really knowing who these people are because they're not one of them from their community, and two, obviously, due diligence failing. Now, that's a generalisation. That's not always the case. I understand. It's a generalisation. So that is is clearly um, something that's got to be sorted out. I'm still a strong supporter of the decision being made by the local electorate because, after all, it's the local electorate and that, those members who'll be working for that person, who'll be doing all the hard yards, who'll be raising the funds, who'll be putting up the billboards. You know, thats it's their candidate. doesn't belong to anybody else.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer, and thanks to Sue Wood and Mike Williams.
2: Matewa.